science story, huh? Hi everyone, I'm Ben Lilly, and welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true personal stories about science. This week's story is from Amy Ostriker. It was recorded in July 2016 at Union Hall in Brooklyn. First, I'm from Connecticut, and I took the subways here by myself, and I made it. That was so cool. I love Brooklyn. So if anyone wants to, like, rent out a space eventually, I mean, this is so much cooler than Connecticut. We don't have these places here. Uh, Anyway, uh, I'm Amy, and um, I'm going to tell you my story. Uh, I don't have a story you hear every day. For a while, it was a story I couldn't understand, like the sick plot of a psychological thriller. Um, My doctors would call it a surgical horror movie. Um, When I was 18, I was your typical teenage musical theater ham, you know, that girl. Um, So we had our um, big, our annual Passover uh, family seder, uh, the April of my senior year, and my stomach really started to hurt. And it didn't go away. So my dad um, decided to take me to the ER for an x-ray in case it wasn't just the matzah. And it wasn't. Um, Apparently, well, on the way there, um, in the car, my cheeks actually just, like, perforated because there was so much pressure. And I just remember being in a lot of pain. And um, the story goes, and this is now my father's favorite cocktail story, but um, when the surgeon, like, cut into me, there was so much internal pressure that my stomach literally hit the ceiling of the operating room. Um, and um, I had gone septus. Um, and if I had gotten there minutes later, um, the fluid would have gone to all my internal organs and I would have died. So um, both my lungs collapsed and I needed 122 units of blood. And I was in a coma for months. And I woke up months later First of all, I was asking my mom if I had missed the Tonys. Um, But I also really thought I was going to college. I had just gotten my college acceptance letters. I was going to go to University of Michigan and study musical theater. So, you know, talk about waking up in a whole new reality. And so then when I woke up, um, first, you know, I have these really sedated memories, like, I mean, most of these stories I hear from my parents, like, I would try to, like, take bites of my brothers because I thought they were pieces of fruit. But but when I was alert enough, the doctor just kind of hit everything, you know, hit me with everything that I didn't have a stomach anymore. Apparently, you don't need a stomach to survive. Uh, this I learned. Um, And I couldn't eat or drink, and they didn't know if I'd ever be able to again. So talk about, like, hey, new life. Um, So I really, I wasn't really devastated yet. I was just confused. I mean, I woke up and suddenly I can only see the ceiling and I'm hearing IVs and beepings. You know, I never really been in a hospital before. Um, So I even, you know, as soon as I could move my fingers enough when they weren't shaky from the medication, I like Googled, like, how do you find Amy? 
Um, so, you know, for months I was in the hospital. I, I honestly, you know, they're actually pretty good memories because I, I have three brothers and great parents, and they actually just kind of camped out with us in the ICU. I mean, it was, I was 18. I had my whole family there in the pediatric ICU with me, and we went for wheelchair rides, and we kind of just made the best of it. So it's one thing, like, not being able to eat and drink, like, when you're in the hospital and you're in your nest and you're, like, sick, like, okay. But then when I was, like, medically stable, the doctors just discharged me months later. And I was technically healthy. Like, I didn't have, like, a diagnosis or an illness. I was just kind of like this thing without a stomach. So I was on IVs uh, for intravenous nutrition, but they're like, you know, go free in the real world. And like, you can't even have an ice cube and we don't know when that will happen. So I, you know, I guess I didn't know really how to act like a victim or a patient because I'd never been sick before. So I remember like I would get like really upset and depressed for like a minute, but then I would get really anxious because I felt like I wasn't getting anything done. And I think the biggest fear in my head waking up from a coma was like, oh my God, like I'm not going to be relevant anymore. I think because I was always so driven as a performer, I that was how I connected. I'm like, you know, I have to make my mark on the world. And I think my biggest fear was like, I'm going to be a has-been at 18. So I think that kind of filled me with this manic drive to just, you know, I went from being the sickest kid in the ICU to the patient that they had to chase around the unit because I was always like doing laps with my dad. Um, so anyway, I I was discharged, and I I had always had this fantasy that the day I was finally discharged from the ICU, I'd be all dressed up and have no medical bags attached to me. I'd skip out the door and grab a burger on my way out and waltz back into my old life. Except the day I was finally let out of the hospital, uh, my IV pole was kind of my dance partner, and burgers don't go down so well without a digestive system. So on top of that, the day we moved out of the hospital, my parents moved us into a brand new house because they felt like we needed a new beginning. You know, buying a house, did it help me or them? You know, who was I now and what was this body covered in adhesive, plugged into machines and leaking out of openings I didn't even know I had? The only good part about an empty house was an empty fridge. Thank God there was no food in the house until a family friend came over and brought us a dozen bagels, some whitefish salad, and a schmear. And I just remember standing over the counter, picking the poppy seeds off of a bagel, carving out its doughy insides, and making that crust feel as hollow as I felt inside. And after I mutilated this poor mound of dough, this evil thing that threatened to kill me if I even attempted to eat it. I didn't know what to do with myself. I was hungry for a purpose and food. I wanted spiritual fulfillment and to find God again, but I'd give him up in a heartbeat for a hunk of steak. (laughs) Instead, I had what my dad called my nightly pina colada cocktail, which was actually a three-liter bag of milky white IV vein food that I'd have to carry around in a purse for 16 hours a day, in addition to a feeding tube in a backpack. My parents 
they were heartbroken that I couldn't eat. So they rid the house of all food. My dad would actually come home from work and hide in the garage eating his eggplant parmesan. But my sense of smell at that time was superhuman, so I was definitely on to him. <laughs> I missed having contact with food. What people don't understand is that seeing food, smelling it, even playing with it gave me some kind of vicarious satisfaction. In the hospital, the, um, you know, all the kids who couldn't eat, they were always the ones that wanted to play in the toy kitchen. You were obsessed with what we can't have. So I was going crazy with no food in the house. Now, not being able to eat was difficult, but not being able to drink, especially in the heat of summer, and we live by the beach, is just torture. So after years of not even an ice cube, I was finally allowed to have clear liquids. Heaven. Two ounces of water the first week, then four, then six. I couldn't wait to take my very first sip of water with the tiniest straw I could find. I took a sip, and then I remembered that water didn't taste like anything. <laughs> then I started to have a little fun with fluids. Since I didn't have a working digestive system yet, the surgeons actually created an opening in my neck. So anything I drink went through the opening and into this little bag. I would try to drink different colored juices based on what I was wearing so my bag would match my outfit. Uh, for Halloween, I drank cherry red Kool-Aid and then I took the bag off. And as the red liquid spewed from my neck, I said, do not be afraid, I'm a vampire. I think I was the only one that got a kick out of that. Um, but all this time, I was unable to eat a thing. You know, day after day, week after week, month after month, I guess the month came first, but a lot of time, I waited patiently. Um, so it wasn't until, uh, what was it, my, my 21st birthday, um, it had been three years at that point. I had my first bite of food. It was a frozen waffle. I brought it to the doctors. I really, really wanted a frozen waffle. Um, but uh, I went to California after that. And a week later, uh, my wound exploded. And I was air back to Yale Medical Hospital for emergency treatment for months. That was pretty disappointing. Um, but with every obstacle, I seemed to discover a new opportunity. I was stuck in that hospital for months, and this was my 13th surgery. I thought it was done, but um, it turned into 27 surgeries. But backtracking, um, you know, I was so at my lowest point. You know, I thought I had made it. This was done, you know, go to California. So um, I actually started collaging with the toilet paper in Yale Hospital bathroom just because I just needed something to do. Um, and my mom, she saw that, and she started bringing, like, cheap art kits to the hospital. And so, you know, whatever I do, I tend to do obsessively. And um, I found that um, painting, you know, the day I picked up a paintbrush for the first time, I had found this way to express all this crap that was just too overwhelming for words. So, again, I, I tend to have the all-or-nothing mentality. So within a few months, I had made 70 mixed-media paintings in the hospital. I got discharged from there, and I put up my first big art show and um, called it Journey into Daylight. 
And because of that, you know, I discovered art and I found that it was such a gift. Um, but, you know, healing was not a straight path. Um, wounds opened, um, more stitches burst loose, and I learned that no surgery is a guarantee. 27 surgeries later. Um, but, um, you know, eventually I got there. Um, I'm trying to remember what happened in between the 13th and the 27th. Um, oh, I had a story to tell you. Oh, once we were in Costco and my wound exploded all over the place. Um, but, um, oh yeah, here's what I wanted to say. Um, eventually I went back through all of the journal entries that I had written, you know, to cope with not eating and drinking. I, I kind of just locked myself in my room and I just journaled and journaled and journaled. I, I also actually started a chocolate business cause I was so hungry. I just wanted to go candy shopping. But anyway, years later, I ended up taking all those journal entries and I ended up putting them together. Um, and I made a musical out of it and called it Gutless and Grateful, a musical about my life. And um, what I didn't realize was, you know, I had never talked about my story before or, you know, it just been on the news. But telling my story actually made me feel normal because for the first time, like, people could relate to not just the extreme, you know, stomach exploding, but they could relate to, you know, we've all felt pain. We've all been frustrated. We've all dealt with things that we don't expect. Uh, and so that was kind of my way of, you know, coming back into the human race, you know, knowing that people could relate. And that was like a big part of my healing process. Um, so, you know, Gutless and Grateful was my story all kind of wrapped up in a bow. And I premiered that in 2012. And I thought, I'm on top of the world. I'm singing about it. And I'm on stage doing what I love. And everything has a meaning. So then uh, a week later... I got my 27th surgery, and this was my first elective surgery, and it was supposed to make me normal, uh, which was weird because I was never really normal before. Um, I knew this was a risky surgery, but it was supposed to clear up a few leftover kinks that I had. So there I am lying in the gurney of the operating room, and I'm, I'm totally serious. This is my Facebook status from 2012, that the surgeon actually bends over as I'm being wheeled in, and he asks, are you sure you really want to do this? So with my last ounce of strength, I lifted up my head, and I just said, I just did a one-woman show. I can do anything. <laughs> Apparently not everything. Three extra surgeries, a few catheters, and uh, four months at Mount Sinai later, and more time not able to eat or drink. I woke up with more problems than I came in with. So here I am, set even further back with even more medical complications. I was frustrated, confused, I felt guilty. I, I felt like I had messed everything up. But three things happened after that. I think when you reach kind of your lowest point, it you feel like you have nothing left to lose, so you're just like, go big or go home. Uh, so in my hospital gown and IVs, I 
called two theaters and booked another run of Gutless and Grateful because uh, I thought, like, if I have a deadline, then my body will be better. Um, and um, I decided, you know, I was 25, and I just decided I'm going to reapply to college, so I did it. And um, I had never even, like, dated in my life um, because I was, first I was too busy, then I was too sick, and then all this other stuff. But I really wanted to do some creative writing, so I set up an online dating profile. Um, so, uh, uh, it, it gets a little better. Um, <laughs> so, um, those three decisions definitely changed the course of my life. Um, doing my show again and realizing how my story was affecting people, you, know, I took the show not just to theaters, but I ended up turning it into a mental health and sexual assault prevention program. Uh, that's one other thing. You know, I realized once I could finally eat again, I was able to process all of my emotions. And then I also was able to realize and process that before I got sick, I was also sexually abused by my voice teacher. Now all this was coming. So I, I was healing through that. Sorry, I forgot to mention that. That, that was a big part, too. Um, and uh, I went to Hampshire College. I'm starting my last year next year. I guess there was an easier way to say that. I've done three years. I have one more to go. Um, and this is, the, this is the best part, folks. Um, <laughs> my parents are here. They're laughing. Um, so um, <laughs> I can't even say it's a straight face. Um, so the day I set up an online dating profile, um, this guy messaged me. Um, he proposed four months later. And if you were all in the audience for my TEDx talk in April, I would have told you that we were celebrating our one-year wedding anniversary. But right after my TEDx talk, he texted me and wanted a divorce. So now, so now I'm like emotionally in shambles. But I'm like, you know, I'm happy I'm here um, to to talk about it because humor heals. But I set up an, another online dating profile, and I'm dating, and I'm single, and that's the end of the story. <laughs> That was Amy Ostriker. Amy is a PTSD peer-to-peer specialist, artist, author, writer for the Huffington Post, speaker for TEDx and Rain, health advocate, survivor, award-winning actress, and playwright. As the writer, director, and star of The Gutless and Grateful, her one-woman autobiographical musical, she's toured theaters around the country. If you enjoyed today's story or are a fan of the podcast, please consider writing us a review on iTunes. We're also grateful for the support of the Simons Foundation, who helped make this all possible. The Story Collider is produced by me, Brian Weck, Darren Barker, Ari Daniel, Christine Gentry, Skylar Bear, Shane Hanlon, Rosie Waldron, and Liz Neely, with help from Ariel Miller. The podcast was produced by Rose Eveleth, and the theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to Union Hall for hosting the show, and to Stomachs for digesting. Thanks for listening. This week's podcast is brought to you by Wondery. If you're hearing this ad, you're trying to decide what podcast to listen and subscribe to next, and I've got one. Secrets, Crimes, and Audio Tape is an audio drama told week after week featuring stories about crime, love, mystery, or conspiracy with actors you know and love. Some are dramas, and some are comedies. The latest episode is a thriller called Severed Threads about faith, greed, and revenge. Make sure you don't miss a single episode. Subscribe to Secrets, Crimes, and Audio Tape on iTunes, Stitcher, Wondery.com, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.